you know, this last week at my daughter's school, Audrey's right. No, who asked you? This last, this, I guess tomorrow or uh, Tuesday at my daughter's elementary school, it's twin day. You bought it February 1st? February 3rd. So you have to return yours. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's twin day at my daughter's school and on Tuesday, and she's uh, dressing up as a twin with somebody else. And so Audrey and I apparently will be dressing up as twins as we bought the same rain jacket. That's what our discussion was going. We, you talk about the most important things during that little break, right? I mean, you guys have the most important conversation of your week right then, I think. You're all staring at me like, whatever, whatever. I am opening my Bible to the book of Galatians. I had it open there, and apparently my bookmark fell out. And I am opening my Bible to Galatians chapter 1, and you are invited to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. I said this morning, I'm like, uh, maybe we should have waited to start a sermon series until after the four-day weekend. Um, but it, by that time, it was too late for me to back out and to, to just do something off the cuff because um, I get bound up inside and can't remember anything. And so I have to have my notes, and here we are. We're going to start a sermon series in the book of Galatians. And uh, we're going to be taking, I don't actually know how long we're going to take, uh, six, eight weeks to go through this book, because it's, I think, one of the most important, most, importance, most important books in the New Testament. And I really want to invite you to interact with me this morning, because there are so few of you, and so few of me up here. We can treat this a little bit more conversationally, uh, you know, head nodding. You could even pull your mask down and smile at me if you need to at some point. Uh, just so I know that you're alive, that would be really good. Masaro's not going to. He's going to shake his head no. But that's okay. You can give me a thumbs up or something noise. We should get you a noise shaker or something. <laughs> something to let you know. Let me know you're alive. So the reason that I wanted to do this series in the book of Galatians, and I've been, you know, Heidi and I, we pray and we think and we talk and we go for long walks, talk about what is it that the church needs to have, what conversations do we need to have? And one of the conversations that I felt like that our church and the church really needs to have, the church especially in the United States, because that's our context, right, is, is around this word freedom. See, freedom is a really, really dangerous word. I mean, it is, it's been the root of wars. It's been the cause of crusades. It has uh, led to revolts, uh, revolutions, sometimes bar fights. Political campaigns are, you know, set up around this word freedom. Um, and it's interesting that sometimes political campaigns and bar fights look very similar. Have you noticed that? Um, also, the word freedom has caused church splits. Churches have come apart over what we are free to do and not to do. And it's also caused divorces. You know, husbands and wives want to be free to do different things, and so it causes a divorce. And I also noticed how similar church splits and divorces look. I don't know. There's just something there, and it's kind of interesting. So you have bar fights and political uh, campaigns and divorces and church splits all kind of looking similar, and all at the root of it is this word freedom. Freedom is a very powerfully attractive word. I mean, we really like it. And it's because it awakens in us a super deep longing that it, you know, this just desire for something more, to be free, to be filled with hope, to, to live as we are called to live, to, to be who we want to be, to make our way in the world and not be burdened with, with uh, tyranny, really. And it's no wonder that as such a powerful word that Political campaigns use it to get you to vote for their candidate and that, you know, lots of products will, will sell to you that you will have better freedom if you buy their car. You know, if you buy the new Ford F-150 4x4, you will be free to make it into the back country where the GMC can be stuck in the mud in the back. You know, and they would just tag on freedom. And you go down to the, if you go to, uh, what's that thing called, the fair in the fall, and they do the rodeo, I mean, everything is around ram truck, ram tough, and free in America. And they use these words. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying they do. They use freedom to sell the ram truck. It's not a wonder because it's such a powerfully attractive word. But I think we get mixed up into what even is freedom. I mean, what is freedom? Philosophically speaking, we have all sorts of freedoms. Like, we could talk about financial freedom, and that's the freedom from debt, the freedom to, to be able to purchase your way through life and to live comfortably. 
Uh, it's, it's, you know, Dave Ramsey says it like this, that you learn to live like no one else so that someday you can live like no one else. But financial freedom, real financial freedom, financial independence is extremely rare in our world. Extremely rare are the people that have the amount of money that they feel like they need to truly and completely live free of anything. Uh, there's freedom of thought. That's the freedom to hold any idea that you want. You could, you could think the world is flat. You can think the world is round. There's a, there's a freedom of thought, and we're offered that in this country. How about religious freedom? You're free to obey the laws and the, the traditions of your, of your religion, whatever that religion happens to be. Or the freedom of movement is the freedom to be able to go from place to place without people saying you can't go there. You can cross borders. You can go to different states. I mean, that's one of the things that our country is really good at, the freedom to move from state to state. You can take a job in another state, and you can just move there. Nobody stops you. These are all little expressions of this big word, freedom. But I think in a country that prides itself on being the land of the free and the home of the brave, in a, in a country that has documents that offer us, we the people, you know, have these freedoms, and we, we get freedom of thought, we get freedom of movement, we get freedom of religion, we get freedom of speech. We, we had this free country is, that we live in is conspicuously and sadly lacking in the experience of freedom. Let me say that again because I stumbled over it. I couldn't get my words around my, my tongue, around the words. The world that we live in, this free country, is conspicuously and sadly lacking in the experience of freedom. We live in a world that's filled with what I like to call shadow freedoms. That's really what we're offered in this country. This is really what we can be offered one another in this world is shadow freedoms. They're, they're really good things, okay? Don't get me wrong. They are really, really good things. But they are just a shadow, just a, just a, a, a glimmer of the freedom that we are offered in Christ. And at the end of the day, they are not the real thing, and they are just a poor reflection. They're shadow freedoms. And the thing is that we, we live under these shadow freedoms. We even fight for shadow freedoms. All the things I talked about, you know, bar fights and political campaigns and all these things, they're all based, they're all fighting, they're all shouting to get your attention with shadow freedoms, not the real thing. And if we're honest with ourselves and we peel back the veneer of our lives and the veneer of our country, we will see just how unfree we really are. We live in a land of the free, and it has not made us free, because we are a nation of addicts and complainers. Being the wealthiest country in the world has not set us free, because we are mired in debt. We're distracted consistently by first world problems. You guys know that? Like, this is recently, Heidi's like, I wish we could do this to our kitchen, get rid of our nice cabinets and all this stuff. She's like, first world problems, how quickly we can get distracted by those things, right? We all have first world problems. And at the end of the day, many of us are filled with greed and an insatiable thirst for more or better. We live in the wealthiest country in the world, but yet we're mired and we're stuck in this. We're given the freedom to bear arms. This is a good one. To own weapons, right? But it hasn't made us free. In fact, what it's done is it's made us suspicious of one another, afraid of one another, even ready to take the life of another if we feel like it's necessary because they invade our space. We've been given the freedom of religion, but it has not made us free. There's still abusive cults. There are obsessive superstitions, and they continue to thrive and run rampant and pull people under their power over and over and over again. Gathering in churches and hearing the word of God spoken over us has not made us free. Even the words, he who the Son sets free is free indeed, has not made us free. We still come to church inhibited, judgmental, defensive, angry, just below the surface, if we just scratch the surface a little bit, we find these emotions that we're out of control, that, that we're not familiar with, that we don't know what to do with. And we hear that we're set free, but we walk in with a, with a sense of heaviness, with a sense of sorrow, with a sense of concern and care. 
Eugene Peterson points out, um, and, and I used his book uh, pretty heavily in, in preparation for this sermon, he says this, is that enough of us are this way. Enough of us are, are mired underneath the weight of sin and, and pain and emotional distraught and caught up in all kinds of bondages. Enough of us are this way that to the outside world, it builds a healthy uh, a stereotype. That's not the right one. That's for later. <laughs> That's for later. Enough of us are, are living underneath this, have this judgmental, defensive, or angry attitude as Christians, the free people, that it creates a stereotype for the people outside in the world. When you ask people, what are Christians like? Oh, they think judgmental, right? Oh, they're angry. Oh, they don't like gay people. Oh, they don't like black people. Oh, they don't like white people. Oh, they don't like this. They don't like Democrats. They don't like Republicans. We created this stereotype because we in the church are not living the freedom that Christ has for us. Again, don't get me wrong. Where we live is so wonderful. We are extremely fortunate to live in the United States. We are extremely blessed that our country offers us these privileges. There are many, many, many other times and places in the world, in the history of the world, in the cultures that are around the world that we could live that would be much worse. We could have been born in Afghanistan, we could have been born in Iran, we could have been born in the third century, and we could have been born during the Black Plague. I mean, there's so many times and spaces where the freedoms that we have were not, not even on the table. We are extremely blessed. But I do think that we have been hoodwinked, we have been bamboozled, and yes, I believe that we have even been hornswoggled into believing that the government or any law, or any weapon, or any declaration of independence, or any security measure at the airport, or anywhere else, anything at all can offer us the freedom that the human soul desperately, desperately wants. And let's just be honest. I mean, isn't that what we want at the core is freedom? We want, I mean, William Wallace, that movie from 20-some-odd years ago, they may take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. And he's, you know, in blue paint. Nobody ever said that. But it resonates. People are like, yes! And people stand up in the movie theaters and ready to, to march out the doors to fight for their freedom because our soul wants it. We were made. We were made for more than the freedom that our country offers us. Here is how Paul says it, and he says it really cryptically, and in, it's in Galatians 5.1, and we're going to come back to ver- chapter 1, so if you just want to stay at chapter 1, that's fine. We're going to read the first five, but this is kind of the, the heart of our whole series. He says it this way, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me read this again. This is the heart of the whole gospel. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We were made for more than slavery. We were made for more than shadow freedom. We were made for freedom in Christ. And I love how he says the first part because it makes no sense to me. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's the whole point. That freedom was the point. He set us free so that we would be free, not so that we would enter into some new rule or new law or new yoke of slavery, but that we could walk free. What does it even mean to walk free? What does that even mean? There is a freedom that truly sets us free and creates greater and greater levels of freedom in ourselves and others as we grow in it. There is a freedom that comes that, that comes from outside of us. It's not dependent on our human intentions or dependent on laws that are set for us or other circumstances. There is a freedom that when we receive it, we grow in it and we don't return back to old bondages and slaveries. We were made to travel light to this world. And that's the title of our series, Traveling Light. Um, when I was in college, I had this friend, Jamie Walker. He was another Jamie. We had two Jamies. So Jamie Walker was my, uh, he wasn't my nemesis, but what is it when you call it? Somebody is the opposite of you? Uh, what? What? Foil? No, it wasn't my foil. Uh, we'll go doppelganger. 
That's the word I was trying to think of. I was trying to find doppelganger. He's my doppelganger. So where I was short, he was tall. Where I was wimpy, he was extremely buff. Where I was shy, he was extremely gregarious and outgoing, okay? This guy would, he was a, he, he could be a model for an REI magazine. You know, he was good looking, this wavy blonde hair, he played the drums, and he could also imitate one of the Muppets, that, the, one of the girls from the Muppet band, I'm gonna use the jacuzzi, and he was kind of that guy. Everybody liked Jamie Walker. One of the things that he would do is that he would take this backpack, he had this full-size backpacking backpack, and he would fill it with rocks and walk up and down campus four or five or six times a day getting ready for whatever his next REI outdoor adventure was. And he would walk around with this huge weight on his back. But the difference between me and Jamie was this. We would walk up campus together, he would have 60 pounds of rocks on his back, and I would be in jogging pants. I was traveling light. I didn't even bring my books to class, you know? I, I just like, I didn't, I didn't bring anything. And he's like huffing it, and I'm like, Sure, a nice day out here, isn't it? And just walking, la, 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 I'm happy and I'm free. That's a bad illustration in a way because, you know, he was buff and I was not, and I kind of downplayed myself there. But we're actually really meant to walk lightly through life, to live free, to not have the heavy weights that we place on our backs. Often we come into church, and I think we, people come in the doors with a sense of somberness and, and, and you know, seriousness that comes with this holy space. And God is holy, yes, and it is a serious business, but he set us free. And so our worship ought to be a place of, of lightness and joy and, 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 and gladness and celebration. And, you know, it should be hard to hold still. It should be hard to not express ourselves because we're living free. We're not carrying weights on our backs. It's like coming into, you know, when I come home sometimes from grocery shopping, there's been a few times that, that I go out and I'll do all the grocery shopping and I'll run to Moscow and I'll buy everything, like Heidi's sick or something, and, and I come home and I come in the door and I've got my arms full of grocery bags, right? You know, we got a picture, I think. You know, your arms are full of grocery bags and you're trying to make your way up the stairs and the dog is coming down the stairs and he's jumping up on you and he wants your attention and then, you know, the, the daughter comes in, Daddy, can you fix this? And then the son's like, hey, can you do that? And you're just like got your arms full and you can't do anything but carry the groceries up the stairs. We walk into church like that. We walk into our relationships like that. We can't pay attention to one another. We can't give each other our faces or our minds or our hearts because our arms are so bound up with all of the things that we're carrying. We're not free to connect. We're not free to serve. We're not free to love. Every bondage, every compulsion, every unhealthy desire, it's a weight that we put on our back, we place in our backpack, and they keep us from living freely and from giving ourselves freely to one another and to God. Maybe it's security that we stick back in there. It keeps us isolated and alone. Maybe it's money that keeps us busy working to cover our debts. Maybe it's, maybe it's politics how we carry our political opinions that keep us divided from one another. They're all weights that we stick in our backpack and we cannot travel lightly through the world, but we bear a weight and it keeps us divided. God has designed us to live in freedom, in a freedom where our hands and our hearts are not tied up by these things so that we can really be free to love others with no strings attached, and to love God with everything that we've got, every part of who we are, physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, emotionally. Peterson said this, he says, we are made to confront the world with the realities of a free life in Christ, a life that is free for all, given freely to all of us, making all who receive it free, and enabling us to live freely in relation to God and others. So let's read the text from Galatians 1, because the book of Galatians is a treatise. It's an instruction guide for living free in Christ. That's what Paul is writing about. And we're going to talk more about Paul uh, in the weeks to come, uh, but he is our guide in this way of freedom. And this is how it starts. This is the very beginning of his letter to the people of Galatia. 
Paul, an apostle, neither sent by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the church of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, I pray that you would begin to illuminate what your freedom looks like for us in this present age. God, give us the, the ability to not just see it and hear it, but to step into it and to begin to walk light and free, to travel lightly through this world so that we can confront this world with the truth of your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So three quick things from those first introductory sentences of Paul's. The first thing is this, the freedom that God offers us, because Paul is setting up, what is this freedom? He's basically preaching what we call the gospel, and we're going to spend some more time on that. But he says this, the first and most important thing you need to know about this freedom that we're talking about in this book is that this is freedom from God. It's not from any other source. It's not, it's not predicated on this cultural circumstances. It's not predicated on political circumstances. It's not dependent on how you feel inside. It is entirely and in completely from God our Father. Three times in just these five verses, he points out, he's pointing back to God. He says, I am not sent by men. Right? I'm not out here, like, I didn't have my buddies say, hey, you know be a good idea for you, Paul, is to go over to Galatia and to talk about freedom and, and tell them all about our freedom. It's not from them. It's not, not from the church. He says the, the people in Jerusalem, they didn't, you know, it wasn't Peter and John and James, you know, those guys saying, hey, Paul, you need to get out to Galatia and talk to them about freedom. It's not where the freedom comes from. God, his Father, sends him. God, his Father, sends him. And then he says that, that this freedom comes from Jesus Christ and God our Father who raised Jesus from the dead. It wasn't Jesus who rose himself from the dead. It was God, his Father, who rose him from the dead and set him free from the power of death. And then he says we are rescued from the present evil age by God our Father. It's not by our goodness, it's not by our activities, it's not by our great ideals, it's not by our voting powers, it's not by how much money we have. We are set free from the present evil age by God. This freedom entirely comes from God. God is the source of the freedom, and we are the recipient. In other words, God is, God is the source, and you are the target. God is shooting an arrow of freedom, and it's aimed at you, but it is God that's doing the shooting, and it's you who are being aimed at. God is our source of freedom. Worldly freedom comes from documents like the Declaration of Independence or laws or even ideals. We get these good ideas in our heads and we think they'll lead to freedom. But God's freedom, it flows out of his love. It flows out of his sovereignty, which means he's really in charge of everything. It flows out of his power, which is ultimate. And it flows out of his goodness, which is so much more good than we can imagine. So much more good than we can imagine. The freedom that we create is limited. It's easily lost. It's taken away when you break a law. It's dependent on outside conditions and whether the, the financial markets are right or the right person's in office. But God's freedom is entirely boundless, and it's secure, and, and it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It has no impact because the freedom comes from God and it lives within us. You can be in prison and still be free in the freedom of God. You can be paralyzed and still live in freedom because it is freedom for your soul, not just freedom for your body. God has acted on our behalf, and this is the gospel right here. This is the good news. When we talk about what is the gospel, what is it when we talk about preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, this is it, that God acted on our behalf to give us this freedom. And without his action, we would not have it. Let me say that again. Without God's action, we wouldn't have it. We would not be free. There would be no freedom available to us. We would just get shadows. It's not something that naturally happens. 
right? If, it, if freedom was something that just naturally happened in this world, we would grow up, right? And then suddenly we'd find that we're free. We, a, a country would work through its problems and suddenly all of its people would be free. It's not a natural thing. We're not actually even born free. Think about this. When we're born, we're born like the least free we're ever going to be in our whole lives. We're completely incapable of feeding ourselves, of caring for ourselves, of changing our own diaper. I saw a really great cartoon this week, but I'm not going to bring it up. Um, I already did. Shoot. I do that. Ask me about it later. It's a really great cartoon. But we're not born free. We, we are completely and totally dependent on somebody else to take care of us. We are under their authority and their rule and, and, and to, to their whims, right? If mom doesn't want to feed me right now, I am not getting fed. All I could do is scream and cry and try to make her life miserable. That's not freedom. We have to grow up into freedom. We have to grow up into freedom if we're ever going to get it. It's something that we have to mature into. It's not inevitable, though. Human society... We, often we think that if we were at our best, it would bring freedom. I mean, this is like the, the, the fallacy of Star Trek and Star Wars and stuff like that, that if we're living out of our best, we're gonna, we can create a utopian society somehow in this far off, distant galaxy far, far away. Or if we write the right document and say, we the people, that we're going to get this freedom. But it can't. We the people can't grant real freedom because enslaved people cannot have the freedom to give power to set somebody else free. Freedom, if we get it, it's experienced as a rescue. Paul uses these words, and I, I, this is such an interesting phrase to me. He says that God, Christ set us free from this present evil age. It's in verse 4. You think, you know, as you read it, you think, oh, yeah, his age was pretty evil, but he, he knows nothing about what an evil age is. I mean, in his age, they had crucifixions. In his age, they had uh, dominance by the Romans. They had decadent society. They had pagan gods and sex cults in the street corners and all kinds of stuff going on. His age was pretty evil, but our age is worse. And you know what? Paul isn't trying to say, hey, <laughs> my age is worse than your age. And like, no, my age is worse. He's not trying to set up some kind of argument between people of different generations. What he's saying is every age is evil. Every age is evil and has been evil and will be evil. It is just the way things are. Every age is evil. Our age, it's really interesting. It's said that in the last hundred years have been the most peaceful time in human history. The most peaceful time in human history. And in the last hundred years, we've had two world wars. We've had Vietnam, which was one of the bloodiest and most violent wars in history. We've had the Korean War, and then that's just the United States, right? Then there's Israel, Israel's war for independence against Egypt and Syria and those places. Then you have, uh, you have Afghanistan happening. They've had like more wars in Afghanistan in the last hundred years than I can even count. You think about the revolutions that have happened and, and the bloodbaths, and you think about uh, genocide and Rwanda, and you think of Darfur, Sudan. I mean, these are all happening in the last 100 years. I could just go on and on and on about how violent and how bloody the last 100 years have been, and it's the most peaceful time in human history. It proves my point. Every age is evil. It's evil. And the point isn't that one age is more evil than the next, but the point is, is that in every age, evil is acting upon society to destroy freedom, the freedom of God. It's acting upon society, evil is acting upon society in an evil way. And anybody, this is Eugene Peterson, this is the quote that she keeps trying to put up here, and here it comes, this is that people who t attempt to live in defiance of God in every age, and every age will make an attempt, it lives badly. It lives badly when you attempt to set yourself in defiance from God. That's why we have this word sin that we try to use. And none of us likes using this word. We, you know, people are like, I don't like going to church because they talk about money and they talk about sin. You know, and it's always so just down. They want my money and they want me to stop being a bad person and stop enjoying my life. And that's not why we talk about sin. Sin is just the reality that we are broken, born into a broken world, Right? We're born into all these wars and rumors of wars. We're born into all these natural disasters. We're born into all the pain and suffering we see around us, even in the most free country in the world. We are born to flawed parents. 
At least my kids were. I don't know about maybe your kids were not, but Deborah's looking at me like, "Mm mm-hmm. Maybe your kids were not born to flawed parents, but my kids were. We We are born into captivity, like a gorilla in a zoo. The good that we want out of life is often disruptive, disrupted by negative and bad events, hard things. The good that we want out of life is often disrupted by our own addictions and predilections and desires. All these impulses and selfish desires that we have inside of us that get in the way of us truly being free. Sin destroys our capacity to live as a free person because it blinds us to truth. It steals our ability to live in healthy relationships with other people. It steals our, steals our ability to love well. Sin is real in this world. We can't deny it. And we need rescue from it. And without God's rescue, we are stuck recycling the same behaviors, the same solutions, the same rules, the same laws, the same broken record in our relationships over and over and over again. And not just you, it's generation to generation to generation. As it has done, as it is now, it has been before. World without end, amen, is something that they pray in the Catholic Church. It's this recognition that it's been broken a long time, and unless God rescues us here and now, in this generation, in this moment, it will continue on, world without end. We need rescue, but God provides it. Again, age to age, generation to generation, as uh, Cindy Lauper said back in the ages, in the 80s, time after time, God rescues us according to the will of God our Father. Rescue not from earthly systems, not from governments or leaders, not from bad parents or good parents. God rescues us from sin. And let me just say that if there is no rescue from sin, there is absolutely no point in the American experience. There is no point in talking about freedom because we will never, ever truly be free. Again, not to harp on politics, but this is such, it's such a ripe place to, to look at because they, we speak so much about freedom around politics. I've heard some say, and this is a common theme in younger generations, they'll say, oh, communism. Communism is, is a much more equitable system. It provides equality for everybody. Everybody gets the same. And you know, if you read communism on paper, it might sound great. But in practicality, sin enters into communism. And those of us who are old enough to have seen what's gone on in the world and Soviet Russia and places like that, we know that when sin enters into even the most perfect ideal system, that it becomes corrupted by greed and violence. Others would say, hey, you know what? The Bible supports socialism. You know, and so we need to vote for socialist presidents. We need to try to get more socialism into our governmental systems. It works really well in other places. And the Bible seems to, to support sharing with those who have needs. And it's great on paper until sin enters it. And you get people who are mired in entitlement and who are, who are stuck in pride or slothfulness. These things creep in, and the system becomes overloaded, and the, the weight of the money falls to just one side, and it's unfair. Sin exists in a system, and it becomes corrupt. And then others would say, no, democracy. That's really the way God intended our world to work. Democracy is the way God supports freedom. It's all over the Bible. Have you read the book of Galatians? He talks about freedom all the time. This is talking about America. And again, it sounds great on paper, but when greed and idolatry, the the setting up higher of the individual than the the community, when lust for power, all of these sinful, selfish desires creep into the system, the system becomes corrupt. No earthly system, and this is important for us Christians, we need to hold on to this. No earthly system can provide freedom. And without rescue from sin, there is no point in even talking about it. And that's why the gospel is so important. 
That's why talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is so important. There is rescue from the power of sin. And it's not just some spiritual utopia that we're making up that someday far off in a land far, far away, we will go to heaven and it'll all be perfect. We're given that freedom now. Here and now, God rescues us over and over and over again from the things that enslave us and that keep us from knowing Him and from loving other people well. That is freedom. They go hand in hand. It's not just about you being saved from hell. It's about you being saved from the power and corruption of sin in the here and now so that you can walk lightly through life and you can love other people fully. That is the good news. And it should make us light and free and joyful and not afraid. It should make us not so dependent upon governmental systems and laws and security systems and and firearms and and whatever other thing we look to to make us free. Not so dependent on our having a voice in the world that, that can elect a president or a leader or whatever. Those things come. Those things go. It doesn't matter because we are free. We are free in Christ. Secondly, Paul tells us here in the first five verses that not only is, so this this comes from God. Oh, this is actually thirdly. This is lastly. So, So it comes from God, right? Freedom comes from God. It's experienced as a rescue. You've been rescued from something. And thirdly, it is lived in community. It's experienced with other people. See, Paul expresses his freedom in these verses in the context of community. His greeting doesn't just come from I, Paul. It doesn't come from I, Paul, and the church leaders some other place, or I, Paul, and my few buddies that had this great idea. It comes from I, Paul, and all the members of God's family. All the members of God's family who are with me. We talk about this, right? Jesus is making a new family, and you and I are part of it. It's our new first family. We're no longer bound by the rules and traditions and ways of our families of origin, our our biological families. We're born into a new heavenly family with new traditions, new powers, new authorities, new inheritance, new name, new everything, new freedom in Christ. He's not riding alone from some high place of authority, and he doesn't place himself above other people with a special title. He's not an authoritarian parent that says, this is how it's going to be. And he's not living out there isolated from other people's mistakes, other people's uh, bondages, other people's fears, other people's freedoms, other people's demands or messinesses. Is messinesses even a word? I don't know. He is living out his freedom with other people. You get that? Because so often we think, oh, I could, I could be free. I would, be, I would really, it would just, life would be so much happier if I didn't have to hear the whining and complaining of those Democrats. If I didn't have to hear the, the anger of those Republicans. Or if I didn't have to deal with this person's drama. Or if I didn't have to listen to this person's backward anger. Or if I didn't, you know, all, we, all these things that keep us divided from one another because we just don't want to deal with their mess, right? Church would be such a great place if people weren't so messy. If you guys didn't have so many problems, it'd be so awesome being a pastor if you guys didn't have to, just stop having problems. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. The freedom that I have in Christ is lived with you, Doug. And it's lived with you, Masaro. And it's lived with you, Cordadors. It's lived with you, Tyler. It's lived with you, Tetzlovs. I mean, I, I could go around the room and just name everybody, and that would just take about three minutes. But um, I could think about all the people online, too. It's lived with Mary. It's, I mean, my freedom is lived among you. And your freedom, lucky you, is lived with me. With my mess, with my insecurities, with my fears, with my political opinions, with my whatever I happen to be that really irritates you. Maybe it's how I use my arm all the time. I don't know. It's got a mind of its own, I've noticed today. It just keeps doing this. I don't even know what it's pointing at. I am free with you, and you are free with me. This is the freedom that Christ gives us. It's not the freedom to go live in a cave by yourself. 
it's a freedom to live with others. His free people. I talked and I had left my notes and I don't even know where I'm at. Paul's community doesn't stop him from living in freedom. It's a part of his freedom. He's free from the need to have community, but he's also free to live in community. He is free from the need to have others, but he is free to have others. He is free to love them. He's free to serve them. He's free to correct them. He's free to protect them. He's free to encourage them. And he's free to be encouraged by them. And this is the freedom that we all walk in. We never grow and mature and move toward wholeness and strength on our own. It is always, always done in community. It's always, always done in a shared life with other believers. And that's why coming to church is so important. Good job, guys. You did it today. In case you were wondering, why did I show up today? This is why. Because your freedom is dependent on being together with other people. It's, it's expressed in relationships. It is matured in relationships. You discover your sharp edges. You discover the places that you're stuck. You discover the places that you didn't even know. Your family didn't know how to do an argument until you get into an argument with another believer, and you have to figure out how to love them anyway because, hey, we're family. Our freedom is matured and grown in community, and it can never be done apart from it. And the last thing that Paul says about this freedom, so again, to go through it, it comes from God and God alone, right? No governmental system can provide it for us. It's from God. Secondly, my brain just stopped. What? His experience is rescue. That's, yeah, that's two. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, what? Yeah, it's the gospel. It's experience is rescue. And it is lived with others. And lastly, this, this, you'll know you have this freedom when you experience grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's what he starts. Verse 3. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. It's not false perfection. Again, it's not fake utopian society. We are still making mistakes. We're still blowing it. We're still finding that our backpack, while I may have taken a rock out and I am slightly lighter today, is still full of rocks. And God is helping me time after time be set free from these things. But we are offered grace in the midst of it. Grace is a really good word to describe God's forgiveness from us. It's, it's unearned, yes. That's grace is an unearned thing. But it also describes something that happens over and over again, Right? You ever made a mistake and then two hours or three hours or four hours or four weeks later make the same mistake again and you're just hoping that somebody forgives you? Oh, I did it again. Shoot. I did it. Oh, please, I hope they're going to forgive me. And then they forgive you. That's an experience of grace. The thing about it is human grace, we kind of run out, right? We get really irritated. Like, again? Come on. And after a while, we do have to set boundaries. You can't keep abusing me. You can't keep hurting me. But God doesn't have to have those boundaries. His forgiveness, his freedom comes to us again and again and again and again and over and over and over when I'd be like, really? It's time to stop. Really? It's time to, I can't do this anymore. God's like, yep, again. Yep, again, I forgive you. Yep, again, freedom. Yep, 70 times 7, you're supposed to forgive somebody. You try doing that math. I had to pull out my telephone calculator. Can't do it. And it's not easy. God knows it's not easy. In fact, if you want a secure and easy life, living in grace is not that life. Freedom is not for you if you want easy. Easy is the worn rut right? Easy is doing even the most basic things like arguing just the way it was always been done in your family. Easy is closing yourself off from other people, turning inward. Easy is being angry, getting resentful, feeling hopeless, depressed, bound in shame and guilt. Easy is just shooting off a hot take because this is my opinion and not caring about what anybody else thinks. Easy is accepting your brokenness and the brokenness of others without ever challenging it or moving on. 
That is the easy life. Easy is voting what's best for your bank account or your personal security without ever thinking about the consequences for other people or the sufferings of others. Freedom, that's hard work. It takes courage. It takes honest reflection and serious work. And grace is the power to do that hard work. It's crazy because if we're willing, God will give us the freedom and the strength to live in the freedom. Isn't that amazing? He's like, all right, here's the freedom. You're like, I still can't do it. He's like, no problem. Here's the power. Now you can. God gives us the strength and the power to live in the freedom that he gives us. But it doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. The freedom that God gives us is a gift. And it doesn't come without conflict. We're not told that this freedom will naturally lead to a world of peace, right? We're not told that this freedom is going to build peace, uh, false peace or easy peace in every relationship, but it's the peace of God that comes in, the peace of God that comes between us and our neighbor, the peace of God that comes and dwells in our hearts and passes all understanding that sets us free, that we walk in a way that even though we're carrying this weight on our shoulders from time to time, we sense God's presence and peace. Peace in Scripture is all about wholeness. It's putting all the fractured pieces of our lives back together again, and that includes our relationships in this room. The fractured relationships, our fractured economy, our fractured politics, the peace of God restores all things to rightness within the individual, and then we live it out and confront the world with that peace. The freedom that God gives is a wholeness. So that's the introduction to our sermon series. <laughs> that's our introduction. We're going to explore this freedom as we live in this freedom, what we're actually free to do and what we are actually free from. We're free from and we are free for. Again, in a country and an age that spends so much time talking about freedom, there really are so very few of us out there that are experiencing freedom and that are living actually free. And I wish, I wish I could say that I was counted among them, that I was that person that confronts the world with my freedom in Christ. But if freedom is a road that we walk, if it's a thing we mature into, and if God gives us the grace and the peace and the power to learn to walk fully free, I am on that road. And I want to invite you on that road with me. I want you to join with this community as we learn to walk in the freedom of Christ in the midst of a world that is living in the shadow freedoms. To be that faithful remnant we talked about. To walk fully and lightly, to travel lightly through the world. To let go of the false and shadowy versions of freedom and to honestly explore the wide open spaces of God's freedom. I hope you're going to join me in that. And to begin that journey, I want to invite you to answer a question in your own heart. I'm going to give us a, a minute, a time of silence to do this. But I want you to think about this concept of shadow freedoms. Because they're, they're varied, right? There's all kinds of them out there, shadow freedoms. In what way has a shadow freedom robbed you of God's freedom? In what way has a shadow freedom robbed you of God's freedom? Let's take a minute and ponder that, and then we'll close our service.
Father, I confess that uh, this idea even of shadow freedom and true freedom is a little confusing to me because I am so immersed in worldly freedom. My mind and heart is so formed by documents like the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights that it is hard for me to see beyond those things into the freedom that you offer us. God, I pray that my heart would trust you more this week and that each of our hearts would trust you and listen to you and that you would turn our attention away from the shadow of freedom and toward the truth of freedom, to turn to you and to trust in you and to give our hearts to you, to be rescued by you and to travel lightly. God, I pray that you would infuse us with joy along with your peace and your grace to walk lightly and to, to enjoy the world that you've given us. God, to enjoy our relationships with one another, to, to see each other uh, and have that sense of anticipation and, and, and hope as we meet each other, as we live out the freedom that you have called us to together in this community. And God, for those who are not with us, um, I pray that you would reveal this truth to them throughout this week. It happens all the time. You're speaking in so many ways. God, we pray that their ears would hear this message too. Uh, Jesus, be with us as we go from this place. Turn our hearts to you over and over again. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me? Great place to end this, uh, ser this service is by singing the doxology, right? God's freedom is one of the greatest blessings he gives us. So let's sing of that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in the grace of our Lord, knowing that he loves you. He really loves you. And Heidi and I love you too. We'll see you next week. Bye.